big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hey, everyone. Before we begin today, we want to give a huge shout out to our newest patrons, Alexandra, Alicia, Sarah, Marina, and Marinas. And a very special shout out to our patrons, Valgarder and Kara, who upgraded their pledges. Thank you so much for your support. If you want to be like these awesome people and get access to bonus content like our notes, outtakes, and to hear us talk about stuff that we're reading that isn't 200 years old, head on over to patreon.com slash pod and prejudice. And now enjoy this week's episode covering chapters six through eight of Emma. This is Becca. This is Molly. We are here to talk about Jane Austen. We are here specifically to talk about chapters six through eight of Emma. Emma! Emma! Listeners, for those of you who have not joined this podcast before, I, Becca, have read many Jane Austen books in my life. And I, Molly, had never read any Jane Austen books before starting this podcast. And we are currently making our way through Jane Austen's canon together, piece by piece, chapter by chapter, movie by BBC masterpiece. (laughs) If you want to hear us go through Pride and Prejudice or Sense and Sensibility, you can check out seasons one and two of our podcast respectively, but that is not what we're doing here today. No, today we are talking about our problematic fave, Emma. (laughs) Have you ever watched the show Never Have I Ever? No, but I want to. I love that show. It's so good. Anyway, the the main character is very much an anti-hero. And I saw someone (laughs) post online that was like, We love our problematic fave. Makes the wrong decision at every turn, every single point. It's impressive. That's basically Emma. Yes. Anyway, today, listeners, I made Molly read through a lot of hoopla because I made her read three chapters of this book, chapters six through eight. Yes. So, Molly, are you ready to talk about the hoopla? Yeah, that's a perfect word for it. I texted Becca and I was like, okay, I finished the chapters and boy, do I have thoughts. Oh, yeah. And I, I knew I could feel your anger just emanating through my phone as I got that text message. I was like, oh, okay, we're going to have a spicy one this time. Yeah, Emma's just so... (laughs) I say this while I'm smiling ear to ear, but like she is so awful. Deliciously so. Yeah, should we talk about it? Oh, we should talk about it. So starting out with chapter six, Emma is feeling great about how Harriet and Mr. Elton are feeling about each other. Mr. Elton says that Emma has made Harriet so much better. He says, quote, she was a beautiful creature when she came to you, but the attractions you have added are infinitely superior to what she received from nature. Emma is like, well, I really didn't do that much. And Mr. Elton tries to contradict her, but she won't let him. Now, throughout these chapters, I have a prediction that the proof that I am using to back up this prediction starts 
now with him being so like piling on the compliments for Emma, not really for Harriet. So I think that Mr. Elton actually likes Emma because every single compliment that he's giving to Harriet is actually saying something good about Emma, like how she's improved Harriet. He says of how she's handled Harriet, quote, skillful has been the hand. So we'll come back to that throughout the chapter, but I'm putting it on the record right now. What am I going to do? Neither confirm nor deny. I will neither confirm nor deny. So Emma suggests that she'd like to have Harriet's picture and Mr. Elton agrees. They ask Harriet if she's ever sat for her picture before like being drawn and she's like, (laughs) definitely not. And then she goes out of the room and while she's gone, Emma says that she actually used to have a great passion for portraiture or uh, at least that's what I'm assuming taking likenesses means. That's correct. She's like the Instagram hoe of the (laughs) 19th century. She's out there with her phone and her visco going crazy, having a great time with a ring light. But basically, like, it's, you know, it's it's skilled work and it's the type of accomplishment that a woman of this era should have, you know, painting portraits of people. But I love, like, her descriptions of how she paints everyone. I know. She goes on and on. I think we get into that in a little bit. But she basically is like, I, I used to be really good at that and I would love to try on Harriet. And Mr. Elton is like, of course you should try it on Harriet. You're so good at art. He says, quote, let me entreat you to exercise so charming a talent in favor of your friend. Again, she's thinking that he's excited about Harriet getting her portrait taken. Meanwhile, he is actually saying that Emma has a really talented hand at art. Um, Just throwing that out there. Emma thinks to herself that he should keep his raptures to Harriet's face. And she says that Harriet has delicate features that will be difficult to capture. And Mr. Elton is like, well, I have no doubt that you'll succeed. I just wanted to say, though, that I don't want to get fully caught up in reading this one way because we know how that turned out with my Colonel Brandon and Eleanor shipping. Are you talking about the fact that this is gay, the way that Emma talks about Harriet? No, I'm talking about my reading of Mr. Elton having a crush on Emma. I just want to play the devil's advocate for myself. However, now that you've pointed it out, I should say the way Emma talks about Harriet is super gay. Oh, sorry. I was reading a little ahead in your notes. That's on me. Okay, fair, fair, fair. I was like, are you really going to actually predict that Jane Austen went for a queer love story? Because I'd be into it. Listen, I'm not predicting that. I'm just going to point it out every chance that I get. And I really appreciate that because reading this book again, it's something I'm picking up on. I'm like, damn, Emma's got a thing for Harriet. The way she says my intimate friend like 17 times in these chapters. And the way she's pure Instagram boyfriend on this entire thing. Yeah, she really is. She's like, let me just uh, capture your beautiful eyes. Yes. And I say this knowing very well that Emma is a character that adores her female friends. I love everything that happens with female friendship there, but it's it's a little gay. It's a little gay. Um, But no, in this moment, I was talking about Mr. Elton having a crush on Emma. I just wanted to note that when Emma says that Harriet has an interesting shape of her eyes and the lines around her mouth, he agrees and he repeats the shape of her eyes and the lines about the mouth, which could be also read as him like appreciating Harriet's beauty though that's not how I'm reading it I'm reading it as like offhanded like just repeating what Emma says so he says the portrait is going to be an exquisite possession and Emma points out that Harriet is too self-conscious and thinks nothing of her own beauty so it will be hard to convince her to sit for the picture Mr. Elton says that they can persuade her and when she comes back 
they in fact do. So this is where Emma pulls out her portfolio and starts flipping through all of her drawings. And uh, not a single one of them has she ever finished. Uh, I love this. I love this, though, because it's me. It's me with cross-stitching. Well, okay, but you've finished a lot of cross-stitching. I know, but I never find the right frames for them. I'm really bad at finding frames. I love cross-stitching, but I hate finding frames for my cross-stitching. In 2019, listeners, Becca cross-stitched me a Baby Yoda and it was the sweetest birthday gift I've ever received. And then I put it into a frame that came with one of my like college photos that had a weird like you could slide it in. And I was kind of wiggling this cross stitch into this frame. That's incredible. See, this is what I mean. I love doing the cross stitches, but I can never find the right frames for them. Yeah. Some people leave them in the hoops, but I reuse my embroidery hoop and it's not pretty. So I'm kind of like, hmm. Anyway, back to Emma, our iconic friend who does not finish her hobbies. Yes. So she has a lot of hobbies and she's never really committed to any of them. The things that she's made the most progress in were drawing and music. Had a very like if I had ever learned vibe from Lady Catherine de Bourgh. Oh, yeah, because those are the richest women we interact with mm-hmm. regularly. They're like, oh, I can do whatever I want. And I do. And if I don't, it's not that I'm bad at it. It's because I'm just not in the mood I would be great right and for Emma that's like kind of the case with these things like she has a lot of natural talent she just doesn't practice she is aware that she isn't as good as she could be at these things but she really accepts the praise anyway it says quote she was not much deceived as to her own skill either as an artist or a musician but she was not unwilling to have others deceived or sorry to know her reputation for accomplishment often higher than it deserved I love that oh yeah so every drawing in her portfolio had some merit like they're all pretty good but Elton and Harriet would basically have been as obsessed with them if they had been amazing or if they had been terrible because they're both obsessed with Emma then Emma goes through the portfolio showing them the pictures of her father Mrs. Weston her sisters her sister's babies she is going through this and she comments that Mrs. Weston was her kindest friend and I just wanted to note that she doesn't have a ton of social awareness you've got this girl next to you who worships you and who right now is your only friend and you're like showing her pictures and you're like oh yeah this is my best friend this other girl yeah that doesn't translate well nowadays (laughs) yeah well it doesn't translate well then like it's kind of rude I mean yeah but at the same time it's like also her like decades old babysitter true true I will concede on that also on the picture of the baby, I wanted to note the word cocade, which I think in this sense means head. She's like talking about how nice his cocade is or cocade. Um, it's actually like a kind of badge of ribbons that goes on a hat, but I don't think that's the context that it's meant in here. Oh, I'm sure it is. The baby's wearing one? Yeah. I mean, the baby might just be wearing some ribbons. All right. It's Instagram. <laughs> Fair enough. So the last picture is her brother, Mr. John Knightley. Now, I know that you warned me (laughs) about the Knightley conundrum. Yeah, but I read this chapter twice because I read it once forgetting that I didn't have a pen on me. And then again, when I had my pen on me and the full first time that I read it, I thought we were talking about Knightley. No, we were talking about John Knightley. I hate it. I know, but there's nothing to do about it. So yeah, come on, Jane Austen. Anyway, yes, it is in fact Mr. John Knightley. This is the last likeness she ever took because she had been so certain that it was so good and that it was only too handsome and too flattering 
And then she showed it to Isabella, who was John Knightley's wife and her sister. And Isabella was like, it doesn't do him justice. And she was like, well, that's it. That's that's the end of that for me. She got one bad review. Yep, that's that's the case. Emma is what you would call a 19th century brat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Precisely. But she says after showing them this, she's like, since there are no husbands and wives in the case at present, she will break her resolution. And Elton repeats, no husbands and wives in the case at present, indeed. And Emma is like, ooh, should I leave them alone right now and like let them get to it? Because it was the, you know, the repeating of the at present makes her think that maybe he's thinking Harriet and himself one day. Who knows? Uh, who's to say? Whomst, if you will. Yeah. So she starts drawing and Mr. Elton is like standing behind Emma fidgeting and watching her draw the whole time. And she's like, okay, he's standing where he can watch Harriet without looking creepy about it. I want to just beg the question, is he watching Harriet or is he watching Emma draw Harriet? It's different. She decides to ask him to read aloud to them. So he does. And every so often he comes over and just admires her work. And the next day he does the same thing. And Mr. Elton is just in raptures about the painting or I guess drawing watercolors painting. I think it's a painting Um, starts with drawing and then fills in with color. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a painting. Um, I don't know what kind of paint she's using. I think they said watercolors because they said it was the same as Mr. John Knightley and it was going to be a full body length thing, which is like honestly a lot of work. Yeah. That's like that's excessive. Have you seen um the gay one? Oh fuck. Mm. Which gay one, Molly? The gay period piece in French where Portrait of a Lady on Fire. That one. Uh the gay one. But this is that, right? I mean, yeah, I haven't seen Portrait of a Lady on Fire. <gasps> I've I know, I know, I know. Here's what happened. The pandemic <laughs> happened. I was watching, I think it was like Parasite in theaters back in like 2019. And I saw the ad for Portrait of a Lady on Fire and I went, oh, that looks stunning. And then I never got around to watching it because the world melted down. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, highly recommend. Mel showed it to me. Not you and Mel watching a movie about lesbians painting each other together. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, this is that a little bit. And that took weeks for her to get it right. So the fact that Emma does this drawing, painting, drawing in two days is impressive. Yes. Iconique, if you will. Iconique. So when it is done, Mrs. Weston points out that Emma made Harriet look a little better than she actually does. And Mr. Elton is like, no, no, no. It's a perfect resemblance. Then Mr. Knightley says, you made her too tall. (laughs) In my mind, I was like, of course, Mr. Knightley says you made her too tall. I fucking love Knightley. He's so grumpy. He's so hot. Ah, yes. I have a little crush. I mean, you have yeah it's like really important to have a crush on Mr. Knightley for like your mental health yeah I'm really glad because like I'd heard of Mr. Knightley obviously because there's like t-shirts that are like Mr. Darcy Mr. Bingley Colonel Brandon Mr. Knightley like you know those like name Mm -hmm. t-shirts so I knew of him but I didn't know if he was going to be the kind of guy that I like right away or hate right away um and turns out it's both (laughs) (laughs) I fucking love Knightley. Yeah. He's such a fucking asshole and I love him so much. He's a he's a he's a new he's a daddy if you will. Oh, he's so daddy and also like I should clarify. He's like quote an asshole not in the way Darcy is at the beginning of Pride and Prejudice. He's just such a grump. He's about- he's blunt. He's just like Rawr. 
Yeah. That, that sound effect. Like, Emma knows that she, in fact, did make her too tall, but she says nothing. And Mr. Elton is like, well, you can't actually tell that she's too tall because she's sitting. So she's probably exactly the right height. And then Mr. Woodhouse says he thinks it's perfect. His only problem with the painting is that she appears to be outside, which makes him worry that she'll catch a cold. And Emma is like, but look, I, I put a tree behind her. It's supposed to be summer. Also, uh, once again, Mr. Woodhouse, our um, iconic anxious man. Iconic. He's like, it's, it's never safe to go outside. Yes, of course. Like you, you put her outside. She will be cold in the painting. Right. Obviously. Right. I'm worried about her health in this fictional world. Mr. Elton, meanwhile, is like, oh, like, I think it's nice to imagine her sitting outside. It's such a good picture, blah, blah, blah. Then they need to get it framed in London and Mr. Woodhouse won't hear of Isabella going to do it because it's December and she will go outside and catch a cold, as previously mentioned. So Mr. Elton offers to do it, kind of pulling a Colonel Brandon. Being Except like, instead of like going to grab your mother as you're dying, it's I will take this painting to get it framed in London. Yeah, like I, I, I could go to London on my horse anytime, I swear. Again, Colonel Brandon did it for, for love, dying Marianne. Yeah, Mr. That. Elton's like, I'll get this painting framed. Totally, totally. Emma is like, well, I don't want to inconvenience you with it, even though she secretly does. And the word she uses there is incommode. And uh, that means inconvenience. And he's like, no, you couldn't possibly. I couldn't be inconvenienced enough. So he goes and Emma is left thinking that he is too, like, profuse with his sighing and his compliments and that she could never endure that herself. But she thinks, well, it's all for Harriet and she would love that. But I think, is it? Guys, uh, you can't see this, but Molly's like gotten up close to her mic as if she's like leaning into a camera and going, is it? I have to say, actually, someone sent us this on Instagram and I think we have to make it. Um, the the meme from whatever the show is where it's the guy looking really frazzled and he has a bunch of red yarn behind him with safety Oh, pins. yeah, yeah. And that's like Emma matchmaking. It is so Emma matchmaking. By the way, you're talking about the show It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and that is Charlie Day uncovering the mailroom scheme. Yeah, that. That's me right now also being like, is it? That's literally you reading any Jane Austen book. We have done that with you reading something. I think it was Sense it was, and Sensibility. It was Sense and Sensibility, <laughs> and it was trying to get all the Johns straight. <laughs> yeah, but that that meme is just us all the time. Or you. I am um, that Ron Swampson meme where he doesn't like do anything. He's just like, eh. Meh. Anyway, that brings us to chapter seven. I believe this is uh, also known as the Hoopla Part One. Hoopla Part One, and then chapter eight is Hoopla Part Two. Hoopla Part Two. So- the day that Elton is supposed to go to London, Harriet runs in sooner than expected and tells Emma that something extraordinary has happened. She had gone to Mrs. Goddard's this morning and learned that Mr. Martin had been there and had left a package for her, returning two pieces of music that she had lent to his sister and also a letter. And the letter was a marriage proposal. Graham, I do believe we need a proposal sound effect here. The letter is very good. It's written like he really loves her and she just doesn't know what to do. And so Emma takes the letter and she reads it and she is surprised with how well written it is. She says to herself, its composition would not have disgraced a gentleman. Hmm. Sounds like someone made a snap judgment about someone before she got to know him. <laughs> the, the disbelief is so insulting. This is where I was reading this on the train. I was going somewhere with Mel and a group of her friends. And I looked up and I was like, Emma's a bitch. And then I was like, oh, I'm sorry for using that word. But Emma's a bitch. Oh, yeah. She's 
so dismissive of Mr. Robert Martin, our boy Robbie. Robbie. Yeah, Robbie. Um, Bob. <laughs> I broke Becca, guys. Ooh. Okay, hang on. I just need like like a like an eternity to, to process Bob Martin. One more Bobby. Bob is worse. I don't know why. <laughs> I think Bobby kind of suits him. Yeah, he's a little bit of a Bobby. Yeah. Bob. Anyway, so the letter is short, but it expresses attachment, propriety, good sense, delicacy even. And Emma says to Harriet that the letter is so good that she thinks one of his sisters helped him. I I almost dropped my book. I was like, are you kidding me? She says she's never seen a man write like that, but it's also not the style of a woman because it's too strong and concise. Emma just, she just loves to put people in boxes. Yeah, she's, uh, she's definitely extrapolating here. <laughs> she's caught flat-footed because this is not what she expected. Obviously, she expected that Mr. Martin harbored something for Harriet, but she thinks he's going to show up in his freaking muddy overalls and be like, hey, wife me. Yeah, she doesn't really know what a farmer does. Yeah, the, that's also, like, are we sure that Emma knows what a farmer is? Because at this point in time, it just feels like she's not aware mm-hmm. of, like, what farmers actually do. She just seems to think, like, it's old McDonald. Exactly. That's exactly what she thinks. Ultimately, she says he must have a natural talent for having good thoughts and putting words to them because it's a better letter than she thought it would be. And Harriet is like, okay, but what should I do? And Emma's like, well, you should answer him. And then Harriet is like, but what should I say? And Emma says that she has complete faith that Harriet will let him down easily. She'll know exactly what to say and how to make him feel better about the disappointment that she's giving him. The old, the fake old that you get from Emma here where she's like, oh, oh, I just assumed. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. The, um, because Harriet is like, oh, you mean, you mean I should turn him down and Emma's like no no oh I didn't know you hadn't made up your mind but if you want my opinion hmm." she's like I can't give you advice on that that's something that only you can do but she's already done it she's already given her advice by making that assumption yeah first of all here here's the thing there are a lot of class dynamics here and I don't want to dispute them and Emma is about 10 times more clever than Harriet is but also ladies gentlemen people of the pod. If your friend thinks that your SO is a dud, really evaluate why your friend thinks that your SO is a dud. Because sometimes your friends are unreasonably judgmental of your significant other. Mm-hmm. Now, personally, not the case with me. Mike gets along well with all my friends. And <laughs> he, he's, he's pulling it out on all stops. But I have seen this happen and I'm just like, guys... Don't let your friends tell you who to date. Friends of people, don't tell your friends who to date unless you're worried about them. But I understand in this context why Harriet hero worships Emma, if you know what I mean. Well, I don't understand necessarily why she hero worships Emma, but because she hero worships Emma and she comes to Emma asking her what she should do and Emma's like, oh, well, you should let him down easy. Harriet automatically is going to think, oh, I'm supposed to turn him down. Well, like I said, we can never forget that there are class dynamics to this relationship. Harriet is of a much lower class than Emma. Emma is smarter than Harriet. Emma is wealthier than Harriet. And Emma is about 10 times better connected than Harriet, which all adds to the dynamics of how Harriet sees this relationship. It's kind of like, this is kind of a 
big push, but it's kind of like you become friends with a celebrity. There are people of very strong character out there who can have very reasonable relationships with people above them, like socioeconomically. But then there are the Harriets of the world, the people who just want to impress real bad. There are also, you know, the Charles Bingleys of the world as well. Like when you hang out with someone who's above your station, sometimes you kind of like want to match them because you want to like impress them and be like them and make them think that you're at the same level. And you can see that a little bit from Harriet here. She's learning all these cues from Emma. And even the way that Emma says, oh, well, I'm sure you'll find a way to let him down gently is all tangled up in this idea of like making Harriet feel stupid like she should have known the answer in the first place. Exactly. And so when Harriet is like, oh, so you think I should reject him? Emma's like, oh, I I had no idea that you were doubting that. I thought you just didn't know how to say it. And Harriet thinks, right, of course, like if I was in this class and knew what to do here, then of course all I would be doubting was how to say it, not what to say itself. But she wants to say yes real bad. Oh, she does because Bobby's cute. Bobby's cute and she loves him. She doesn't, well, she doesn't love him, but she kind of loves him. Well, I mean, they're cutesy together. They're like into each other. They have chemistry. It's the economics of dating in Jane Austen with that little edge of love we all like. Yeah. So... She's like, okay, well, what do I do? And Emma's like, I'm not going to give you any advice. I'm not going to tell you what to do. You have to follow your own heart. But But she says, if a woman doubts as to whether she should accept a man, she should refuse him immediately. If there's any doubt as to yes, she ought to say no. Now, I do agree with Emma here. That's a fantastic 21st century take. It is not a great take to give to your friend who doesn't have money. Exactly. That's what I'm thinking. Like this whole time I was like, Emma, not everyone has the luxury of just waiting around for the right guy. I'm 27 years old. I've no money, no prospects. I'm already a burden on my parents. And And I'm I'm frightened. frightened. Exactly. Except that Harriet's still 17. This is a very early offer. And she's not Charlotte Lucas. She has something that every woman in this time period really wants good looks yeah so Harriet is still torn and is kind of not really saying much and Emma is like listen if you like Mr. Martin better than any other man and there's nobody else that's coming to your mind right now then there's no reason that you should say no but is there someone else coming to your mind and Harriet is like uh uh, and she's like twisting up her letter in her hands and finally she's like you know what you're not being any help I've come to my own decision. I'm going to refuse him. Do you think that was right? And Emma's like, yes, absolutely. Because I would have dropped you as a friend if you had said yes to him. And Harriet's like, oh, well, thank God I know that because I would rather be single and be your friend than anything else. Gay. The way that she said it, too, I wrote it down. She says, I would not give up the pleasure and honor of being intimate with you for anything in the world. Gay? (laughs) Emma is like, yeah, it would have sucked, but... You would have thrown yourself out of all good societies, so I couldn't have been your friend anymore. And she's like, can you imagine being stuck with illiterate and vulgar people the rest of your life? That would have been terrible. And Mr. Martin must have thought pretty highly of himself for asking you. Harriet is like, well, he's not conceited. He's he's actually very good natured and she has a regard for him. But just because he likes her doesn't mean she has to like him back. And Emma agrees that a woman shouldn't marry a man just because she's asked or because he likes her or can write a tolerable letter. 
Harriet is like, yeah, and it's a short letter too. And Emma then feels her friend's bad taste. In my mind, I'm thinking that's because she she knows that it's a good letter. It's not just a short letter. Yeah, she sees in that moment that like a man shouldn't express himself too vociferously. He shouldn't go on forever. He should be brief, clear, romantic, gentle, spirited, and smart. And it turns out that Robert Martin actually did write this really good letter to Harriet. And she has to be like, Mm, Harriet didn't even clock that that was good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, Emma wishes someone would propose to her with a letter like Robert Martin did. Here's the thing, though. Emma doesn't want anyone to propose to her. Oh, you're right. You're right. She's I, so complex. I love every time we record this podcast so far, Molly has like walked in like in this half like, I hate Emma. And I say like three words and she's like, oh, right. That's a cool piece about Emma. Yeah, she is. She's complex. She said a lot of smart things that like are way ahead of her time, but they sound ahead of her time because she's talking about her privilege of being able to she she's able to live this free life that we all as women in or like whoever, but specifically women in society nowadays get to live. But back then, not everyone had that privilege. But to us, it feels like woke. Oh, yeah. It's a revolution in her time period, but it's certainly only one she gets to live out because she has the money to not marry. Yeah. Emma says that down the line, his letter writing would have been a small consolation for all the embarrassment he would have given her by being who he is. And Harriet is like, okay, well, how do I refuse him? Emma's like, well, I can't really help you with that. But then she basically writes the whole letter. Harriet is so concerned about hurting his feelings and she keeps rereading and rereading the letter. And eventually Emma is like, okay, take this away from you because she's afraid that she's going to accept in the end. After all, they write the letter. They send the letter. It is over. Emma decides to bring up Mr. Elton again, but Harriet is still like really stuck on Mr. Martin. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I'm never going to be invited to Abbey Mill again. And Emma's like, good, because you got to be here at Hartfield. And Harriet's like, yeah, yeah, I'm never happy, but at Hartfield, which is pretty sad. Very tough. Very tough. But it's like that thing where it's like, you don't need them. You have me. I'm enough. And then Harriet's like, yeah, you're all I need. Exactly. Okay. Oh, boy. (laughs) Anyway, Harriet later on says that she thinks that Mrs. Goddard and Mrs. Nash would be surprised if they knew she had refused him because Mrs. Nash is even like she thinks even her sister's marriage to a linen draper is good. And I'm noticing that a little bit of snootiness is starting to come up in Harriet. Interesting. Interesting to track that. Mm -hmm. It's like she's like, yeah, well, she was even proud of her sister's marriage to that linen draper. Yeah, it's like so Emma's obviously like all of her good qualities for all of her interesting qualities she is a classist monster on certain issues and harriet's been hanging out with her and one thing that she's learned is that emma loves nothing more than to like shit on other people's class status through marriage and so like it's kind of this like yeah i knew this like woman who was like impressed by like a linen draper isn't that crazy and emma's gonna be like oh my god that's so crazy and harriet's gonna be like point one for harriet exactly then uh, <laughs> I just want to like draw attention to the fact that I had just gotten my booster last night when I was typing up these notes and I wrote, she's starting to get a little high in the head instead of like full of herself. <laughs> I couldn't think of the words for full of herself. I like high in the head. Uh, Emma says that she bets that they would have been envious of this proposal because they have no reason to expect anything better for Harriet, but she and Harriet both know there's someone else after her. 
Later on, Harriet starts worrying and thinking about what Mr. Martin and his sisters are doing and if he's sad and if his sisters know. And Emma is like, let's think happier thoughts. Like, let's talk about the fact that Mr. Elton is probably showing your picture around to his family and talking about how much more beautiful you are in person. Mm-hmm. And Harriet is like, no way. He left my picture in Bond Street. I'm guessing that's the framing place. Oh, yeah. And Emma's like, no, he's going to keep the picture with him all night and he won't bring it to Bond Street until right before he has to come back. And that makes Harriet smile. And that is the end of that chapter. Which brings us to Hoopla Part 2, a.k.a. a chapter I personally adore. So that's chapter eight, everyone. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host, Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. That night, Harriet sleeps over. She's actually been staying over so much that she has a bedroom at Hartfield. In the morning, she leaves for Mrs. Goddard's with the plan to come back that night. But while she's gone, Mr. Knightley stops by. Mr. Woodhouse had been about to go for a walk, and he's, like, super apologetic to Knightley for leaving him. And Mr. Woodhouse is like, I I, I would ask you to come with me. And, and Mr. Knightley's like, no, no, it's okay. Go for your walk. And they basically go back and forth until Mr. Knightley's like, I'm actually about to leave too. So uh, don't worry. Here's your coat. And why don't you get a move on? And he pushes him out the door and then he doesn't leave. He sits down with Emma and he starts praising Harriet. I love the energy that Knightley enters the scene with. It's kind of like, hey, Emma, your friend Harriet. She's kind of cool. The energy that he enters the scene with is very, I know something you don't know. Which is so much better because it's coming from Mr. Knightley. Who's the certifiable grump about everything. So the fact that he's excited about something is just weird. He comes in like borderline giddy. He's like, <laughs> there's an episode of Gilmore Girls where Luke is happy about something and everyone's confused about it. Luke is a perfect, perfect nightly comp. So he starts praising Harriet and he says her character depends upon those she is with. But in good hands, she will turn out a valuable woman. 
Emma thinks, of course, that he is complimenting her and she starts fishing for more. And he's like, okay, yes, fine. You have improved her. And Emma is like, well, I would have been mortified if I didn't think I'd done some good for Harriet. And she notes that Mr. Knightley doesn't compliment her often. He asks if Harriet is coming back and Emma says, actually, she's already late. And Knightley says, maybe something kept her. And Emma is like, it must be Highbury gossips, those tiresome wretches. And Knightley says that Harriet might not consider everyone tiresome that Emma does, which Emma knows is true. So she says nothing. And then Knightley's like, I know something you don't know. I love this scene also because you just know that Knightley's like, looks like you're not the only one who's doing some matchmaking. He's so <laughs> excited and he's like, uh, this part, honestly, it broke me. I love this scene because it is simultaneously so funny and so revealing about both of these characters. You have him just walking in there being like, ah, yes, my friend Emma. I think her pursuits of matchmaking are silly, but I'm indulging them on just this like one little time. Yeah. This is fun. I'm having a good time. And Emma enters the scene with like none of this, like no context for how Knightley feels about this match at all. Mm -hmm. And she just simply thinks she saved her friend from like a bad match. Mm -hmm. So listeners, if you're listening along and you haven't gotten there yet, we'll tell you what we're talking about. So... Emma is like, okay, who's in love with Harriet, assuming that it's going to be Mr. Elton because she knows that Elton looks up to Knightley and would definitely confide in him about that. And Mr. Knightley says he has reason to believe that Mr. Martin will be proposing to Harriet. He says he's desperately in love and means to marry her. Emma says, is he sure that Harriet means to marry him? I was surprised at her restraint here because I thought, I mean, if it was me, I would have been like, well, he already did yesterday, but she holds out. Well, you're you're noticing here that Emma actually really values Mr. Knightley's opinion on these things. And so she's like approaching it with trepidation. She's reading that he's happy about this and that he he has some in knowledge on it. And so she's kind of like gauging a little of what's happening before she has to be like, actually, no. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Knightley tells Emma that Mr. Martin considers Mr. Knightley one of his best friends and came to ask him if he thought it was a good idea for him to propose or if maybe Harriet was too young or too high above his station. Thanks to Emma, of course, he thinks that she's high above his station, even though she is literally not above his station. And I just in my notes, I was like, oh, my God. He and Harriet would have been perfect together. They are the same person. Because Harriet ran to Emma being like, what should I do? What should I do? And Mr. Martin ran to Knightley being like, what should I do? What should I do? Is this okay? Like, what? what how's my letter? It's really, really sweet. Yeah. And also just like the idea of this little farmer boy. First of all, he leases his land from Knightley, which is how they know each other. And Knightley thinks he's a good guy. And so they kind of like chat and everything. And, you know, you take your advice from your higher class people. And he's like, hey, Mr. Knightley, I got this thing for this girl in town. And I was kind of thinking that maybe it's time for me to marry. And I just thought maybe you could help me figure out a way to propose. And, you know, Knightley's like, I got you, bro. Oh, I turned into a puddle just thinking about it. Oh. So he says that he he never hears better sense from anyone but Robert Martin. He says he has no hesitation in advising him to marry Mr. Martin proved he could afford it, and Mr. Knightley believes that Mr. Martin could not do better. He thinks that since he didn't do it yesterday, he's probably detaining Harriet at Mrs. Goddard's right now, and she probably doesn't think him at all a tiresome wretch. 
Emma is like, wait, backtrack. How do you know that he didn't do it yesterday? Nellie's like, I guess I don't. She's like, yeah, I mean, I felt like I would have heard about it, but wasn't she with you all day anyway? And Emma says, well, she was. And Mr. Martin wrote and was refused. Mr. Riley's like, can you say that again, please? The record scratch we get here. We need like a full record scratch because Knightley's face just, you can see him just like snap towards Emma and be like, excuse me, what? And so Emma says it again. Yes, she does. And Mr. Knightley goes red in the face and he's like, basically, are you fucking kidding me? He says, Harriet is a simpleton then. And Emma's like, okay, fine. Yeah, sure. A man always imagines a woman to be ready for anyone who asks her and is so surprised if she says no. Yeah, literally, we're we're seeing him be like, oh my God, she's a fucking idiot. And Emma's like, what? Would you say that if she, she were a man? Yeah, Emma is, is a little feisty feminist, isn't yeah. she? <laughs> exactly. Mr. Knightley simply cannot wrap his mind around the concept of Harriet saying no. And he says he hopes Emma is mistaken. And Emma's like, well, I saw her reply and it was very clear. And he goes, you saw her answer. You wrote her answer too. Emma, this is your doing. You persuaded her to refuse him. And Emma doesn't admit that she did, but she says that if she did, she wouldn't have been wrong in doing so. She doesn't see Martin and Harriet as equals. She says it sounds like Mr. Martin even had some doubts himself and it's a pity that he had gotten over them. Mr. Knightley says, no, they're not equals. He is superior to her in sense and in situation. So you know what he means by that? He's smarter. He's better off in life. This is where he says that she's the natural daughter of nobody knows who. And a lot of our listeners. Yeah, guys, this is my fault. Um, I thought it was more under the surface implied that Harriet was a bastard child. I wasn't like trying to like hide the ball from Molly on this one. I just didn't think it was like, I didn't know that like natural daughter was explicitly meaning child born out of wedlock. I thought it was just something that we kind of like we're supposed to assume. Yeah, but it turns out that natural daughter does mean child born out of wedlock. So y'all, that's my bad. Not the perfect Jane Austen expert all the time. (laughs) Whoops, listen, nobody's perfect, Becca. But uh, yeah, thanks for writing in listeners. And now it's told to us right out because he's like, we don't even know who her father is. Yeah, exactly. So like, I like forgot this part. Sorry, everyone. I don't remember these books perfectly all the time. It's okay, Becca. I didn't remember that Harriet was a bastard. I just thought we knew that she didn't have a confirmed birth. So so what I always thought is like just because we don't know who she was born to, we don't know like what her situation is and therefore we cannot confirm that she's legitimate. To be fair, we don't know her situation and it seems like maybe people are saying she's the natural daughter of someone. Nobody knows who her parents are. They don't know if her parents, if it, she's born out of wedlock, like they can't say that for sure if they don't actually know who her parents are. Yeah. It's a fair assumption because they want nothing to do with her, but yeah. Anyway, so he says that. He says that Emma's infatuation with Harriet blinds her to the actual circumstances of her situation, and it's true. Emma is infatuated with Harriet. Mm -hmm. Yay. Yay. Then Mr. Knightley simply goes off, and I just want to read what he says. Oh, yes, please do. 
She is not a sensible girl, nor a girl of any information. She has been taught nothing useful and is too young and too simple to have acquired anything herself. At her age, she can have no experience and with her little wit is not very likely to ever have any that can avail her. She is pretty and she is good tempered and that is all. My only scruple in advising the match was on his account as being beneath his deserts and a bad connection for him. I felt that as to fortune, in all probability, he might do much better and that as to a rational companion or useful helpmate, he could not do worse. Boom. Yeah. Like, damn, Knightley, tell us how you really feel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he does not have any scruples about telling Emma how he really feels at any given point in time. And this is like a very crucial moment in this narrative so far because we're getting a fourth wall break right now because in our brains, we have been, well, we'll, we'll talk about this more in the study questions, but basically this is just a moment where like, whatever we think is being immensely challenged because whatever Emma thinks is being immensely challenged. To be fair, though, I haven't really been thinking how Emma thinks yet. We'll get to that. Yes. And in my notes, I said I can't wait to see this adapted into a movie because I can just see this very sexy man just getting up and just pacing back and forth. And he's so mad and he's just saying all of this shit. I just can't wait to see it. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, both um, Lizzie Bennet and Mr. Knightley excel at like a roast upon a roast upon a roast. Mm -hmm. And I love it because I think Knightley is our sassiest man so far. Definitely sassy. I know Darcy's very sassy, but he's a human disaster, so he cannot present it all the time. Whereas Knightley has his shit together on a lot of stuff. So when he gives his sass, it's like always like boom, boom, boom. Mm -hmm. I got you. Yeah. So he says that he had meant Harriet would be okay in good hands when he said that before, he meant like Mr. Martin's hands, not like Emma's hands, which is how she took the compliment. He says that the match would have most benefited Harriet. He even thought that Emma wouldn't be upset because she would have seen that it was a good match. And Emma then comes back with, then you must not know me very well to think I think a farmer a good match for my friend. For with all his sense and all his merit, Mr. Martin is nothing more. She just simply doesn't know anything about people. She has a very simplistic view of Mr. Martin as a person, and it's reflective of her simplistic view of the world. Mm -hmm. She's not really great at coloring inside of what something actually is. She's, you know, she's pretty immature. Yeah, Yeah, she really is. She says that even though Mr. Martin has more money, societally, he's below Harriet because it's not Harriet's fault that she doesn't know who her father is and she shouldn't be held below the level of those with whom she's brought up. Plus, her father is definitely a gentleman with a good fortune since she's never wanted for anything in her life. So she's basically a gentleman's daughter who associates with gentlemen's daughters, a.k.a. Emma. And uh, gentlemen's daughters would also be like the Dashwoods. Dashwoods, the Bennets, anybody we know who like hit that like certain level of class, basically someone who like, you know, owns the estate and um, like who else is a gentleman? Mr. Darcy. Mr. Darcy's a gentleman. Edward Ferris is a gentleman. Mm -hmm. And so therefore Fanny Ferris is a gentleman's daughter. Colonel Brandon's brother was a gentleman as well. And I believe that kind of makes Colonel Brandon a gentleman as well because he now owns his own estate. So like it's not nobility, but it's like one step below in society. So gentleman's daughter is like what the high class ladies of Britain are in this time period. And what she's basically saying is, yeah, money, not important. Class actually important. And she's just decided Harriet's high class because she's hot. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So 
He then says, whoever her parents are, they clearly had no intention of introducing her into higher society. They left her with Mrs. Goddard's society and they thought that would be good enough for her. And it was until Emma came along, until Emma came along and everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, is Mr. Knightley. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So um, Emma came along and ruined everything. Before Emma, Harriet was perfectly happy with the Martins over the summer and she had no sense of superiority until Emma gave it to her. He says, quote, you have been no friend to Harriet Smith, Emma. I love how he calls her Emma. By the way, have I commented on his first name thing? I think I did in the first episode. But he always calls her Emma. He never calls her Miss Woodhouse. Yes, we've been very, we're very familiar at this point. He believes that Robert Martin would not have proposed if he had not felt affection from Harriet. He knows Robert Martin pretty well. And he says that he would not address a woman on the haphazard of selfish passion. Emma doesn't reply again because she knows this is probably true. And instead, she changes the subject, saying that he isn't giving Harriet enough credit, saying she has no sense, but say she is only pretty and good natured, as Mr. Knightley said she is. She says, until men fall in love with a woman's mind instead of her looks, a pretty face and a good nature are all men really want. And Harriet Smith can have her pick, which I guess is kind of true. But again, she's not giving men enough credit in general. Well, no, it's not only that. You're, she's also giving men a little too much credit because, like, what do men want to do with pretty dumb women? They don't want to marry them. That's they for sure. That's certainly not in this time period. What do they want out of a woman in this time period? Money. Money. Yeah. Yeah. And Harriet has none of that. Right. You're right. She's not even considering money. She's like... Until they fall for a smart woman over a pretty woman. But it's actually like until they fall for a rich woman. Do you know how much money you have to have to not feel your money, especially in this time period? A lot. Emma has a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And she's literally like, yeah, no, men don't want a smart woman. Men want like a pretty woman. And it's like, men want a rich woman, honey. She is so privileged. Yes. Yeah. He says... Upon my word, Emma, to hear you abusing the reason you have is almost enough to make me think so, too. Better be without sense than misapply it as you do. She says, well, then you're proving my point. Men want to be with a girl who bewitches their senses and satisfies their judgment. A a pretty dumb girl. She says Harriet's only 17 and can have some time to take her pick. But again, not everybody has the luxury of waiting until they're older and find a guy that they want to be with. It's also just not true that Harriet can expect a lot of proposals. Right. She can expect men chasing her, and she, but she might not find another like economically stable man to settle down with. She comes from a very different station in life than Emma does. Emma is a catch by any standard. She's wealthy. She's clever. She's accomplished. She's beautiful. She could have any man in the world she wants, and she knows it. And it, it's kind of cool because it makes her powerful enough to refuse men and basically say, I don't want to be with men. Gay. You know, gay. Uh, but Harriet doesn't get the luxury of that. Harriet's not got a lot to offer him in. There is no dowry. There is no connections. There's just her living her life and possibly getting someone on the hook. And yes, she is pretty and good natured. That's not enough for most men who don't have a psychotic amount of money to justify a marriage and men who do have a psychotic amount of money would not sink because it would lower their social prowess. Exactly. You're saying exactly what Mr. Knightley says. He says she's one, not going to get more marriage proposals because men don't want to marry silly women. And two, this friendship is going to be bad for her because you're going to puff her up so much that she's going to 
think that she's too good for everybody who's actually on her societal level. So she's going to end up alone or she's going to end up with someone below her station. He also points out that she isn't someone who can offer any connections, like you said, and that it's possible that when her parentage is actually revealed, it could disgrace whoever she ends up with. So there's a lot of negative things attached to the potential of Harriet Smith as well as like all of her beauty and whatever. Absolutely. And again, I just want to reiterate this one more time in my defense. I was aware that Harriet's big problem was a lack of confirmed legitimate parents. I just didn't know that the term natural daughter meant bastard child. I just thought it was this implied little mystery that we were going to talk about. I believe that wholeheartedly. And and I don't think that our listeners think that you were holding out on me for some reason. I know. I know. It's just very rare that I like miss the mark on like one of those like very important little words in an Austin novel. But this one I was like, oh, OK, whoops. It's OK, Becca. Emma says that their opinions are too different and there's no use in continuing on in this way. She actually says the word canvassing, which I only thought of as like a political term, but I guess it means like going back and forth over all of the Mm -hmm. things over and over again. And she says it's too late anyway. She's already refused Mr. Martin. She says she may have influenced Harriet a little bit, but she didn't have to do much because Mr. Martin's appearance and his manners are so bad. And if Harriet had never seen anyone better then maybe Mr. Martin would have been enough for her. But now she knows what a real gentleman is like. And Knightley says she's wrong about Mr. Martin. And Emma tries to look nonchalant about it, but she is, quote, really feeling uncomfortable and wanting him very much to be gone, which is a relatable concept. Yes, absolutely. And Emma does not like to be made to feel stupid at all. Mm -hmm. And I think Knightley's making her feel a little bit stupid right now and kind of making her, like, get down on her haunches Mm -hmm. and fight back. Especially because she does have respect for Mr. Knightley's judgment. And right now, her, his judgment is very against her. So they just sit in awkward silence for a while until Mr. Knightley says, Listen, I know you love matchmaking. If you're trying to set Harriet up with Mr. Elton, you are not going to succeed. And Emma laughs, but he continues on and he says, He knows that Elton will not make an imprudent match. He may talk sentimentally, but he will act rationally he knows his own claims and his societal position and he will not throw himself away mr knightley also mentions that mr elton has talked of a family of sisters who have twenty thousand pounds apiece and emma laughs it off and says she has no plans to set up harriet and mr elton only to keep harriet to herself gay and that she is done with matchmaking forever which is a lie then Mr. Knightley just gets up and leaves because he is he is done with her and he is feeling bad about being responsible for Mr. Martin's unhappiness. Oh, very sad. Also, just the again, the energy he entered the room with and the energy he left the room with is like, oh, God damn it. Yeah, he's like, oh, fucking shit. <laughs> fucking Emma. <laughs> fucking Emma ruining everything. Meanwhile, Emma is doubting herself a little bit and feeling a little stressed because while Mr. Knightley left feeling like he was right and she was wrong, she does not feel that way, actually. She does not feel that she was right and he was wrong. She's nervous because Harriet has been gone so long and she's actually worried that Mr. Martin might have tried again. And finally, Harriet does arrive and she is in good spirits and she has no, like, she doesn't say anything about Mr. Martin. So Emma thinks, okay. This is good. Let Mr. Knightley think or say what he would. She has done nothing which woman's friendship and woman's feelings would not justify. 
She is a little bit worried about the Elton thing, though. She thinks Mr. Knightley hasn't observed Mr. Elton when he's around Harriet, so he's probably just saying that in the heat of the moment to kind of shake her up, but because she has seen so much passion in Mr. Elton, she doesn't think that he has enough prudence to overcome his passion. Meanwhile, Harriet tells Emma that Miss Nash told her that Mr. Perry had run into Mr. Elton on his way to London and... This is the gossip she was talking about. Oh, yes. I realized it as I was saying it. I was like, tiresome wretches or whatever. Anyway, he had run into Mr. Elton on his way to London, and he was just admonishing him for missing whist. But Mr. Elton was like, I must miss whist because I have very important business. And he talks about a very enviable commission and being the bearer of something exceedingly precious. And Miss Nash assumed that this must be about a woman. And she looks at Harriet very meaningfully and says, any woman whom Mr. Elton could prefer, she should think the luck woman in the world dun, dun, dun. and that's the end of those chapters all right that brings us to becca's study questions this was long so we'll be brief in these we get to know the three of these men much better in these chapters than we did in previous chapters number one is mr elton we're going to go through each one one by one what did you learn about elton this chapter what i learned about elton is that he might not be the romantic that he has kind of been acting as if we're trusting Mr. Knightley. He is much more aware that he's hot stuff than he lets on. He is also aware of his place in society. And I think that he might be more inclined to an Emma than a Harriet Smith. And I also know that there are some mysterious sisters uh, of each, like a family of sisters who he thinks are cute, maybe, who all have 20,000 pounds apiece. Yes. And I think you also learned a little bit about him in the moment of um, being exceedingly complimentary, which seems to be just how Jane Austen writes her priests, except Ferrers. Yeah. He is a flatterer. So we've learned he's a flatterer. We've learned that he speaks very sentimentally. And we've learned that Knightley thinks of him as one who will act rationally at when push comes to shove. Mm-hmm. It's important to think about these things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We also got to know Mr. Martin quite a bit better. What did we learn about him this chapter? My boy. My boy. I uh, love Mr. Martin. We learned that he, in fact, can write and read and is a good writer. We learned that he knows himself and his station also. He has no delusions about who he is. And he loves Harriet with his whole dang heart and he looks up to Knightley a lot. We learn that Mr. Knightley loves him and thinks that he is a very worthwhile person to marry. We learn that he can afford marriage so he has enough to marry. Uh, Yeah, and I think what we learned here is at, at the very least, Mr. Martin is surprising Emma. Yeah. Um, he's coming out with much more um, sense, intelligence, grace than she had perceived he would come out with. And that tells us not only something about him himself, which is that he might there might be more than meets the eye to him, but also that it tells us a little bit about Emma and her shortcomings and what blinds her as well. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it shows us that she is almost capable of seeing her own failings but not quite. 
because she sees that it's a good letter and she sees that he has surpassed her expectations and yet outwardly she can only admit that he must have had help yeah and she she has no capacity to admit that out loud right none of it um which brings us to our third boy who's more than happy to admit when emma does things wrong out loud mr knightley i'm in love i'm (laughs) so in love with mr knightley um let's talk about it um so knightley the last chapter with knightley tells us so much particularly about how he perceives the world, how he operates within the world, and where his head is in terms of like the people around him and who he interacts with day-to-day in Highbury. I will say, I'm just going to throw this in here, that there are some crickets outside being loud. They might just be like on our episode, y'all. Yeah, Sorry. they just might be there. So I just wanted to throw that in there in case I was like later editing, like what is that sound in the background so I can warn Graham? <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I think that we've learned about Mr. Knightley that he has respect for people no matter what their social standing is. Like, he does genuinely respect people. He genuinely respects Mr. Martin, even though he's in a lower social class than him and rents from him. And he respects Mr. Elton, who he thinks is going to make the choice that benefits Mr. Elton and not the choice that benefits Harriet Smith. Like, he respects that. And he, yeah, he has a lot of respect. Um, He's not afraid to speak his mind. He's a helpful boy. Yeah, what else? What else did we learn? Well, I think these chapters really just paint a picture of a man who um, unapologetically calls out the people around him particularly Emma, who no one else calls out, um, and is very direct and uh, insightful about the people around him and has a good amount of sense about how everyone is stationed in society. It is almost to a fault. You could argue that in these chapters, he's being a bit cruel to Harriet in his evaluation of her. He is pretty mean about it. Yeah. But I think that that might be in the heat of the moment. Okay, maybe we have to go back a minute and say that he has a lot of respect for men. And... I think that he has respect for women also. Uh, it's hard because he has a lot of respect for Emma. And he wouldn't be so hard on her if he thought that she was a lost cause, I think. The way that he talks about Harriet, I think, is more out of anger at Emma. And he's super rational in terms of knowing class structures and like while he has respect for people in lower classes he's also like but they're in a lower class so when he's talking about Harriet and he's like she literally has nothing to offer that is true I'm gonna skip down to a later question we'll come back to the rest later just because it's so apt to what we're talking about now what do you think of the head-to-head between Emma and Knightley their dynamic and who's right and who's wrong I think Mr. Knightley is right about a lot of things but at the same time, some of the things that Emma says were really, uh, really stuck with me. Like, right, a woman should marry the first guy that asks her because that's what we're what we're supposed to do, right? Like, of course not. And she knows that. But societally, that's what's expected of her. Well, I think it's just expected much more of Harriet than it is of Emma. Yes, yes. And yes. she's she's saying that as like she is showing that she knows how women are treated or expected to behave in society. She just doesn't think that they should, but she doesn't realize that it's necessary. So like the marriage thing, when she says that, 
Harriet shouldn't accept the first guy that asks her, she's not thinking about the fact that Harriet might have to accept the first guy that asks her. But she does have some good points. Here's here's the thing about this dynamic scene is that you have on one hand, Knightley is unapologetically going through the jugular at Emma and he's really good at being really precise about what she's missing in the world and understanding things that she doesn't think of in the moment because she's privileged and she's um, narrow-minded. At the same time, and I want to be clear on this, Emma is also seeing pieces of a world that she's seeing outside the lens of her society, which you could read as naive, but you could also read in a sort of more generous manner as a little bit more idealistic. She sees Harriet Smith for more than just her class. She thinks the world of Harriet and wants Harriet to have a better life and wants more for her. And Knightley's right on the substance of who Harriet is as a person. But Emma is also right in some ways because she understands that Harriet is this really good girl who's really pretty and likable and also you know, has like certain very gentle, sweet emotions that are very valuable. And she doesn't see just her as this little bastard daughter. She sees my friend. And you're you're telling me my friend is this low in society. That's not fair. She has stuff that's going to make her useful to a lot of people in life. And she should have her own choice of suitors. So she's being naive a little bit, but she's also giving... Harriet way more credit than uh, Mr. Knightley is. And I do, I don't think it's a, like a gender thing in this case. I think it's truly Mr. Knightley just being as purely realistic and surgical as possible. And also being a little pissed off that he got his friend butthurt. Yeah. Well, here's the other thing though, is that that's true about Emma and how she feels about Harriet and everything, but she didn't fully take into account the fact that Harriet had feelings for Mr. Martin and she knew that. No, no. That's why I'm saying that's the most generous interpretation right. of what happened here. She wants Harriet to have the life she has. She wants to share high-class society with Harriet. She wants a mini-me and she loves Harriet because Harriet worships her. Exactly. Okay, are you team Helton or team Robiet? I'm team Robiet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, I'm team, well, I'm not team Elma. Elma? Elton and Emma. Got it. Okay. But I do think that Elton likes Emma. And that's, I'm throwing that out there. I'm not team Helton because uh, I think that that is being too orchestrated by Emma. And I know that that's the whole point, but I think that it's it's not how Harriet feels. And I am fully team Robbie it. All right. What do you think of Knightley's evaluation of Harriet in terms of how it tells us the story is being narrated? Who is narrating our story? I mean, Jane Austen generally, but we are once once again getting a little like jarring pull out of the frame of the story, which is primarily from Emma's perspective. We are getting how Emma sees Harriet, Emma's thoughts on Robert Martin, Emma's thoughts on the people around her. There have been moments in the story where the narration has suddenly gone from like being Emma's perspective to being shitting on Emma. 
And I feel like those parts are more like, like Knightley is the perspective that can shit on Emma and can shit on what's happening. Is it though? Because when we get the descriptions of Emma, they're very tongue in cheek, almost like they are Emma's little fanciful thoughts about herself Mm. as if she's making fun of herself in a little clever way. Hmm. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Because they're very gentle and quirky and fun, those uh, evaluations of Emma as a person. That's true. And Knightley is a little bit more um, harsh. Yes, he is. And particularly his evaluation of Harriet is unlike any other description we've gotten of her so far in the story. And it makes for a very different picture of a person. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely have a I think I have a stronger picture of her now because before I was only seeing her through Emma's eyes. And even in the conversation where he and Mrs. Weston are discussing the friendship between Harriet and Emma, like even then I didn't really get a full picture of Harriet's situation and how Emma is influencing her and all of this stuff. Um, But he is, he is ruthless. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And only time will tell as to who's right. Emma Knightley in the end about who Harriet is as a person. Well, I don't think that here's the thing is that I haven't really gotten a picture of Harriet from Emma necessarily outside of she is so sweet and she is so pretty. And she even says that here. Like, she's like, I'm not going to admit that she's just sweet and pretty. But if she were just sweet and pretty, that would be fine. Like, I haven't gotten much about their friendship aside from the hero worshiping and the she is sweet and pretty. And Knightley doesn't know Harriet as a person. We don't really know much about Harriet's personality yet, honestly, because Knightley is just stating the facts which are that she is sweet and pretty she has an average education she doesn't have a family um she's just a parlor boarder and she has no dowry and and nothing to offer anyone like that's what he's saying and and he's saying like she's average looking I think he says at one point um but meanwhile Emma she's not like saying like oh like Harriet tells the best jokes or like Harriet's really good at checkers like they're not I don't. I, I want to know about their friendship and to know more about Harriet as a person. And I also want to know the only thing so far that's hinted at a personality for Harriet is the little slip into snobbery where she's trying to impress Emma by being a little snobbish. I, that's the biggest hint of a personality that I've gotten so far. All right. What do you think of Emma? God, it gets harder every time. Well, I don't I don't I'm not proud of her. Wow, that's the most accurate description I've ever heard of the character. (laughs) Yeah, that's. I think I'll leave it at that, honestly. All right, that's fair. Funniest quote? It is very pretty, said Mr. Woodhouse. So prettily done, just as your drawings always are, my dear. I do not know anybody who draws so well as you do. The only thing I do not thoroughly like is that she seems to be sitting out of doors with only a little shawl over her shoulders, and it makes one think that she must catch cold. But, my dear papa, it is supposed to be summer, a warm day in summer. Look at the tree. But it is never safe to sit out of doors, my dear. (laughs) Oh, we love our hypochondriac king. All right, questions moving forward. Well, are Mr. Knightley and Emma in a fight now? (laughs) Is one. Two, will Mr. Martin try again? Three, does Elton like Harriet? Does Elton like Emma? Is Elton coming back? Four, does Harriet like Elton? We can leave it there. Let's leave it at that. That's a lot of questions. All right. Uh, Who wins the chapters? 
Mr. Knightley. Oh, incredible, incredible pick. He just went off. Yeah, we we love a sass master. Yeah. Boom. Him I'm proud of. Oh, God, you, you can't not be. We love our king. We do. King Knightley, not John Knightley. Not John Knightley. That's going to be so confusing. Oh, boy, just you wait. Um, oh, no. We're going to read chapters 9 and 10 for the next episode. Molly, are you feeling good? I'm feeling great. I can't wait to keep reading. All right. Well, then, until next time, stay proper. And wear a shawl because it's never safe to go out of doors. I love that. Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our show art is designed by Torrance Brown. Our show is transcribed by Speech Docs Podcast Transcription. For transcripts and to learn more about our team, check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you love what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us, or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.